mate, or the flash of water over its skin. From the side of the table he took two copper wires attached at the other end to a brass rod that ran through a cork which was in turn used to seal a glass bottle coated inside and out with foil. Jacques! Jacques! It's time for dinner! Come to the table! It was Tante Mathilde's voice. Clearly Jacques had not heard the notary depart. He set down the electrodes and blew out the candle, then crossed the landing to the top of the almost vertical wooden staircase and groped his way down. His grandmother came into the parlour carrying a tureen of soup. Robière and his wife, known to Jacques as Tante Mathilde, were already sitting down. Grandmère ladled the soup out. Take a bowl out to... Robière jerked his head. Wait, said Grandmère. There's some rabbit too. Jacques carried both dishes carefully to the door and took a lantern to light his way out into the darkness. At the stable, he pulled back the top half of the door. Olivier? I brought dinner. Olivier? Wary of the horse, who lashed out with her hind legs if frightened, Jacques freed the bolt and made his way into the ripe darkness of the stable. Sitting with his back to the wall, his legs spread wide on the dung-strewn ground, was his brother. I've brought you dinner. How are you? Jacques squatted down next to him. Olivier stared straight ahead. Jacques took his brother's hand and wrapped the fingers round the edge of the soup bowl, noticing smears of excrement on the nails. Jacques took a spoonful of the soup and held it up to Olivier's face. Gently he prized open his lips and pushed the metal inwards. It was too dark to see how much trickled down his tangled beard. They want me to come. They keep telling me. But why should I go when they know everything already? Who, Olivier? Who does? Their eyes met. Jacques felt himself summed up and dismissed from Olivier's mental presence. Jacques took his hand. Listen, Olivier, it's nearly a year now that you've been in here. Why don't you come out for a few minutes? I could help. They don't want me. They won't let me go. Olivier was clearly talking of a different they, and Jacques was too frightened to contradict or to press him. He had been a child when Olivier, four years the older, started to drift away from his family. Would you like some of the rabbit? Grandmère cooked it. Jacques wanted the company of his brother, but shrank from sitting in the fouled straw. What do you do all day, Olivier, when I go out to work for Papa? He felt Olivier's breath on his cheek. That's the trouble with the army. No time to yourself. You're up at six and it's stand two at six-fifteen. Jacques went to the door and picked up the lantern where he had left it on the floor because Olivier was not allowed a flame. On the other side of the stable wall, the pig grunted in its sty. I want my brother back, he thought. Tante Mathilde was sitting by the door intent on her sewing, while Grandmère, the mother of Jacques's own mother, who had died of childbed fever in the week of his birth, cleared the plates. Beyond the kitchen she had a small room of her own, which Robière allowed her in return for her unpaid services as housekeeper. Since Jacques had no memory of his mother, he could not revive her in the eyes or manner of Grandmère. There was not so much as a drawing or daguerreotype of the first Madame Robière, Isabelle who had been twenty-seven years old when she died. 
When he did ask Grandmère about her, she replied only that she was a good girl. Jacques had somehow, from glances or words exchanged between Grandmère and his father, gained what people called an impression that she had been moody or in some way difficult. But it was less of an impression, Jacques thought, than an uncertain glimpse. He liked to make such distinctions because he was interested in the way things worked. He had made a chair for the table in his rooms. The way things worked and fitted together was a joy to him, his passion in the quiet world. He settled himself back into it, relit the candle and prepared to continue his experiment. He did not mind working at the jobs his father set him in the woods and fields, because in the course of his day he had the opportunity to observe a good deal in the natural world that intrigued him. He had been, Tante Mathilde reminded him, an inexhaustibly curious child, and although he could no longer remember the questions that had irritated her, he recognized a feeling that continued from that time, his amazement that anyone could be so lacking in curiosity as his stepmother. There was a space of two or three years in which he was able to share his enthusiasm with his elder brother before other matters occupied Olivier's mind. Old Robierre seldom spoke to his sons, and five years after the death of their mother he had married Mathilde, a woman of almost his own age, a person of no wealth and little charm. In their shared room, the boys sometimes wondered why he had married again. Perhaps he was lonely, said Olivier. He doesn't seem lonely, said Jacques. If he wanted company, you'd think he'd talk to her. But perhaps he really was lonely. Why else would he have done it? Olivier peered across the darkness at him. Perhaps that's it. Lonely. Olivier, do you remember our mother? Yes, not very well. Do you remember what she looked like? She was pretty. Was she really pretty, or do you think it was just that you loved her? Was she dark or fair? Short or tall? Jacques could barely speak for the jealousy he felt of Olivier. She was gentle. There was a feeling of kindness. But I want to know about her in particular. Her voice. What does she smell of? Anything? I... I don't... I just remember a feeling. A sense of someone. I'm sorry, Jacques. I never thought I'd have to remember. To store it up. I was only four. I feel I should have been warned. But at least you knew her. She kissed you goodnight. She held you. I'm sure she held you before she died. Perhaps, thought Jack, or perhaps she was too feverish to know. Hold me before you die. Just once before you die. That was all he would have asked of her. Now, as Olivier travelled further into his own world, he took with him Jacques's last chance of ever making contact with his mother's memory. Jacques removed the pins from the splayed feet of the frog and touched the electrodes to the part of the thigh where he could see the femoral nerve. Good God! he said out loud, as the creature leapt off the table and landed on the floor beside him. It was as though the frog was alive. Jacques bent down to pick it up again. His face was illuminated by the light of discovery. This is more like it, 
said the curé, as they went down onto the stony beach. Do you like the curlews? You see, there. Have you always been interested in animals? said Jacques. For me, said Abbe Henri, the natural world is part of the love of God. But I was a naturalist even before I was a priest. It would be a sort of blasphemy to be indifferent to such a miracle of design. My tante Mathilde has no interest in anything beyond her sewing. Well, she must at least enjoy books. Jacques laughed. Tante Mathilde can't read. The curé looked shocked, though Jacques knew that most of his congregation was illiterate. And how did you manage with the electrical bottle I lent you? It was marvellous. I made my frog jump up and down as though he was alive. Ah, yes, the nervous system. And what did you learn from your jumping frog? That an electric current joins the nerves to the muscles, that this current can be reproduced by static electricity stored in a bottle. He was inclined to stammer when he was nervous. The curé smiled. It is almost a hundred years since frogs were first made to twitch. An Italian gentleman had laid out a specimen for dissection and noticed that sparks from an electrostatic machine nearby were making the dead creature dance. Such effects could also be produced during thunderstorms, so he naturally assumed it was the result of electricity in the atmosphere. But later on he discovered that some movements would also occur if he joined the nerve and the muscle with a piece of metal. And what do you think he concluded from that? Jacques was anxious not to disappoint. I suppose... You must conclude that the metal was conducting a force that existed in the animal. Exactly, said the curé. Animal electricity. But he was wrong. Signor Galvani, our frogman, had a friend called Volta. Signor Volta used to make electricity pass through his tongue. He was sure that it was the charge in his own flesh that was the source.